again. Glad you're here this morning. Glad we have the opportunity to dig into God's Word. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are finishing up the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 29 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. We have brand new Bibles. And so uh, um, if you don't have a Bible, keep it. It's yours. It's a brand new one. Take it home with you. Yeah, it even has a new Bible smell. And we don't, we'll even charge you extra for that. Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 13 through 29 this morning. Jesus continuing his sermon. We pick it up in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Are there many who go in by it? Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you'll know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The title of my message this morning is, Do the Math. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in your word, and to know, Lord, that as we open up your word, your Holy Spirit is here to teach us and instruct us in all things. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have open hearts to receive what your Spirit has to say to us, your church, this morning. Lord, not just words that, we oh, I wish someone else was here to hear this, but Lord, what you have to say to each one of us today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather. We pray your blessing upon our children downstairs as they're being taught your word as well. We also pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart to you, they're not born again, they're not saved. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today and they would see their need for you and need to have their sin forgiven, and they would commit their lives to you today. So we thank you for this time together. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as a first grade school teacher who was trying to get her class interested in mathematics, and, and so she turned to Jimmy, and she gives him a story problem. She says, if I had two sandwiches, and you had two sandwiches, what would we have? Jimmy answered without hesitation, would have a picnic. 
not the math problem she was thinking about. Remember, you know, I think of the yearbooks, you know, back when you were in high school or probably junior high school, you put, you are too good to be forgotten, you know, and it's some corny saying like that. But the reason I bring that up is we've come to a fascinating section of scripture. In these verses this morning, we are seeing examples and illustrations set forth in twos. He's giving us, Jesus is giving us examples of two gates, two ways, two different trees of fruit, two different builders, two different foundations. Now, it may sound like a math story problem, but Jesus is our problem solver, and he explains the answer to us quite well. See, we've been talking over the last several weeks the difference between true and false righteousness. Jesus concludes these revolutionary teachings on the Sermon on the Mount with some very searching and very solemn words. You see, he's primarily dealing with the person who's deceiving himself. And the closing words of our Lord are a warning to all that would populate our churches today to sort of play the religious game. And, uh, but truly, they don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus, as he makes the statement, he then anticipates our question and then answers them for us. If there are two gates, which one is the right one? He'll tell us the narrow one. If there's a broad way and a narrow way, then how will I know which one I'm on? Well, by the fruit. There'll be good fruit and bad fruit. Well, how do I make sure I stay in the right path and produce good fruit? By having a good foundation. We see how this is going. And so if you're taking notes this morning, those really are three points. Number one, we're going to see two gates. Number two, we're going to see two trees. And number three, we're going to see two foundations. Let's start with two gates. Look at verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus begins verse 13 with a command. Enter by the narrow gate. And it's interesting the word that Jesus uses for enter It speaks of a definite, specific action. Like I said, it's a command. Now, it's not a command to stop at the gate. It's not a command to admire the gate or to ponder the gate, but to walk through the gate. And you can picture someone coming up to this gate. Why am I? What a wonderful gate. I think I'll stop here and look at this gate. And well, it's really the best gate I've ever seen. But but you go ahead and walk through it. I'm I'm not going to go walk through it. I just want to look at the gate. You know, there's a lot of people that are like that, like that out there. They would tell you, hey, I don't mind that Christianity stuff for you. It's okay. I like being around you and all, but, but I'm not going to walk through. I'm not going to go through that path. Jesus is simply pointing out that there are just two ways that we can go. We can go down that broad, easy way, or we can go down that narrow and difficult way. Now, many times we use this verse in evangelism to show people that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's a narrow road that leads to life. To heaven, there's a broad road that leads to hell. And why that is true, we must also look at our own hearts and see where we're at, because often it's easy to start playing that religious game. And there are some who play this game so well, but they really don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in the context that this is written, there's a whole lot of people going to church, but they're living in a false way of churchianity, of religiosity. They really don't know God. And Jesus is saying that there's many religious circles that are traveling down that broad road. They're, they're involved in religion, but they don't have a relationship. So be careful. Listen, true righteousness leads to self-denial. 
Let me say that again. True righteousness leads to self-denial. If you're truly born again, if you're truly saved, there's going to be things in your life that you're, you're going to deny. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. He writes, the two, way, the two ways refer to two types of lifestyles, the easy, comfortable, popular life, or the difficult way of self-denial. These ways are entered by two gates, a narrow gate of surrender or a broad gate of self-sufficiency. And as we look at the text this morning, we need to ask ourselves, has my relationship with God cost me anything? While it's true, our salvation is free. We're saved by the grace you've been saved through faith, not of your, yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. But once you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it does require you letting go of some things. It requires you denying yourself in areas. And we have to ask the question this morning, as a Christian, have I given up certain things that the Lord has shown me in my life or am I still holding on to some of these things? Am I pushing my will and my desires over what the Lord would have for me because, well, this is so much easier. It's, it's an easier path to take. It's a wider road to be on. See, even we as believers can go off of the narrow path and onto the broad path. You know, am I coming to church with a type of religiosity? Well, it's a Sunday thing to do, so I think I'll just go to church all the while just playing the religious game. I, you know, I'll say, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord, sister, yet I never read my Bible, I never pray, you know, I never share my faith. Jesus is showing us that's evidence that you really don't have a relationship with Him. That's a broad way that leads to destruction. Listen, if you've met the creator of the universe, there's going to be some changes in your life. It will impact your life. You want to live for him. You want to obey him because you realize all the things that he's done for you. But not many people want to follow the Lord. Why is that? Well, the Lord tells us in verse 14, because narrow is a gate and difficult is a way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Listen, if we just take Jesus at his word right here, he's saying that most people are not saved. Most people will, will not make it to heaven. There are few people that will enter the Christian life, very few people that will make the right choice. Why is that? Well, because the way is so narrow. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. Listen, Christianity, it's hard to practice. It requires forgiving the unforgivable, it requires loving the unlovable. It requires hoping in the midst of hopelessness. It requires giving to the undeserving. It requires avoiding not only sin itself, but striving for holiness. It requires to try to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And all these things we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. But sadly, people look at Christianity as being too narrow, too one-sided, that they don't even consider what Jesus Christ has done for them to enable us to live the Christian life. Now we know that the road is narrow because Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But people don't want to really accept that Jesus is the only way. And they'll say things like, well, it doesn't matter which way you choose. All roads lead to God. Choose the wide path. Choose whatever you want. It's all the same. I mean, it's just a smorgasbord, but you're all going to get fed at the same restaurant. And besides, if someone really is sincere you know, and what they believe in, they'll get to heaven. I mean, that is the typical thinking of today. We operate by our feelings. If you feel good about something and strong about something and you're really, really sincere, then it's okay. Then it's good enough. 
Well, let's play this out. What would you think if you got on an airplane and the airplane pilot announced over the little PA system, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our flight 229, you know, with service to Honolulu, Hawaii. Our cruising altitude today is 30,000 feet. We'll be showing a movie. This is a meal flight. In first class, we'll be serving filet mignon. In coach class, we'll be serving you dirt. So uh, sit down and shut up. No, okay. It's a different analogy. Let's say the pilot says this. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not so sure about this whole fuel, whole fuel thing. As I look at the fuel gauge, it doesn't appear as though we have a, enough fuel to get to Hawaii. But I want you to know, I feel really good about this. You know, and, and so there's no need to panic. And by the way, I don't really like using navigation devices and, and, and maps, that, you know, because I felt maps, they're so narrow and, and they're so bigoted, so absolute. I believe we just go with the flow with it because all roads lead to Hawaii, right? So have a good flight. Don't worry about this because I'm very sincere with what I'm saying. You would say, get me off of this plane. Are you nuts? But yet when it comes to the things of God with eternal ramifications, people make the bizarre statements like that. Oh, if you're just sincere, all roads lead to God. Well, they're right about one thing. All roads do lead to God. But not all roads lead to heaven. The Bible teaches that, that one day we will all stand before God in judgment. Rich people, poor people, famous people, unknown people, young people, old people, whoever has died, they'll stand before God. And there'll be two roads, but there's only one road that will lead us to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus says that, that's a narrow road. Not necessarily the most popular road, but it's the only road to heaven, the only way to know God. Now, for us as believers, every day when we get up in the morning, we have to, uh, to make a decision. Am I going to take that path of following Jesus Christ, or am I going to go to the, bra- the, the, the broad way, the easy way, and live for myself? God says this in Deuteronomy 30:19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that, that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. We're also told in Jeremiah 6, 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the way and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. But they say we will not walk in it. See, we have a choice. Do we walk down that road that leads to life, or can we walk down the road that leads to death? Do I walk down the right path or walk down the wrong path? I take the road to heaven or take the road to hell? That brings us to point number two, two trees. Look at verses 15 through 20. Jesus goes on, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you'll know them. So now Jesus moves to the next comparison, the next couple of twos, and and he gives us a comparison between a true prophet and a false one. And he says there's going to be two trees. He says, keep an eye on the fruit that comes from the trees. He says, every good tree bears good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Now, notice that Jesus says it's good and bad fruit. He doesn't say it's pretty and ugly. He says it's good and bad. Why is that? Well, because 
a tree can be very, very beautiful and the appearance of the fruit can be very, very lovely until you what? Open it up and see what's inside. And I think of avocados. You know, I love avocados. And they look, man, it looks soft. It looks great. Man, I go to open up and it's all brown and moldy. Oh, man, that's just nasty stuff. But it looked great. You know, it looked great. See, the true inspection that takes place is when he examined the fruit is, is not how it, how it looks, but how, how it tastes and its nourishment and what it does for the human body. You know, if you eat something and you get indigestion, it was bad. You know it's bad. It's like going to, to Texas Roadhouse. I've been liking that place. I probably shouldn't eat there, but they have those peanuts there that, that's on the table. There. You, you break them open, you eat them, and they're just getting you start because you're hungry and you're waiting for your table, and, you're, and then you get a bad one, right? You go, <laughs> kind of look around, and you want to just throw it down on the ground and spit it out, but it's nasty. Listen, there's nothing worse than a rotten nut. Jesus is saying, beware of rotten nuts, okay? Now, why did Jesus immediately say after entering into the narrow gate, say, beware of false prophets? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. Because the false prophets are the ones that are saying, don't listen to what Jesus says, that he's the only way. Yet throughout Scripture, we're warned over and over again against false prophets. Isaiah, the prophet, warned against prophets who speak lies in my name. Jeremiah said, Woe to those prophets who prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them. Jesus said, Many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ, and deceive many. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Matthew chapter 24. There's this constant flow in Scripture about these false prophets, false teachers that have come on the scene. You know, and we know it's going to happen, as I said before. You turn the light on in the gospel, and it's bright. Bugs are going to come out, right? They're going to attract to that. When you preach a gospel, a narrow way, the true path, the singular path, the false prophet will come along and try and disrupt that. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. It's like the sign that we've all seen. Beware of dog. You know, working 17 years at the post office, I was aware of dogs when I'd see a sign like that. I mean, you're, you're looking around all the time. It reminds me of the classic Peter Sellers line, does your dog bite? The man says, no. And the dog proceeds to bite Inspector Clouseau. I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. The man says, well, that's not my dog. Here, Jesus says, beware. Beware. It means more than just be warned. It means to be on guard against something that is very dangerous. Very dangerous. John MacArthur writes this, False prophets are more than wrong. They are dangerous. And we should not expose our minds to them. They pervert thinking and poison the soul. Paul gave this warning in Acts chapter 20. He says, For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. See, they're not going to come to your house on Saturday morning, knock on your door and say, Good morning. I'm your neighborhood false prophet, and I'm here to give you some false information and false teachings. I've come to deceive you. May I come in? Yeah, sure, come on in. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to come knocking on your door sounding like Christians. And you ask them, are you a Christian? Yeah, but I'm a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus of the New Testament? You bet. Do you believe he's the Son of God? I do. Now, what you should do Next time is have them define the word Jesus. Have them define the word the Son of God. Have them define salvation because I guarantee you 
It's not the same words that you and I have come, can know the meanings of. They're different. That's why Jesus says, beware. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know, the, the, in Christ's times, wolves would roam the hills and valleys hoping to find some wayward goat or sheep that, that lost its way. And wolves are, are merciless. They're ferocious. He uses the word ravenous here. It means harpax, which means swindler. In other words, in English, a ripoff, a con, a cheat. Uh, Jesus is saying there's false prophets, they're cons, they're cheats. Only after your money, only after your possessions. See, the bottom line is wolves eat sheep. (laughs) False prophets eat people. Wolves are clever, hungry, and believe that food exists to satisfy them. And false prophets are clever and hungry and believe you exist to satisfy them. Now, the good news is we have a good shepherd that's looking out for us. In the ancient world, people told stories. One of the most famous stories was Aesop's story of a wolf who wanted to steal some sheep. One day, a wolf wanted a fat, juicy lamb, so he put on sheep's clothing so it wouldn't be noticed. It just so happened that the same night, the shepherd had a craving for lamb chops, so he went out to his sheepfold and plunged his knife into the biggest sheep that he could find, which turned out to be the wolf. See, the wolf disguised as a sheep was eventually dealt with by the shepherd. So too, a good shepherd watches out for his flock. Don't think for a moment that false prophets will go unpunished. There's a God in heaven who keeps tabs, but he's also able to judge both motives and actions. No shepherd is dumb enough to think that, that there's no such thing as wolves, and no Christian should be so naive as, as to think that there's not false prophets and false teachings out there. You know, I hear from time to time people come in and, and, and they check us out because they're looking for a church to attend, and they tell me places they've tried. Not actual church names, but they tell me some of the stuff that goes on in some of the services. And, and I have to tell you, some of it sounds really, really bizarre. And I say, well, so what were they teaching? Well, some of the, what were they teaching sounds really, really bizarre. Listen, when you're looking for a church home, in order to know if it's a good place or a rotten nut, you need to ask, does that church teach God's word? Precept upon precept, line upon line, chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, is the word of God the most important thing in that church service? You see, this is a judgment unto examination that Jesus is telling us to look at as he did in the first part of this chapter. And he's telling us, we're going to know these by their fruit. What fruit will a false teacher produce? Well, let me give you three examples. Three ways to spot the fruit of a, of a false teacher. Number one, and I've shared this already, a false teacher will seek to draw men after themselves instead of pointing them to Jesus Christ. They'll seek to draw people after themselves. They'll seek to find followers. You know, that's the first time. They'll be talking about themselves, what they've done and what they've accomplished. It'll be all about them. Number two, a false teacher will, will seek to make merchandise of you. You know, Second Peter tells us they'll go for your pocketbooks. They, they won't be concerned with feeding you. They'll be concerned with fleecing you. Give a little more money. You just need a little more. And number three, a false teacher will produce bad fruit. In other words... They have a tendency to clump together and cause the whole tree to spoil. No, you can get a tree loaded down with bad fruit. Again, Jesus says in verse 16, you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, you guys know that I love figs. And uh, if you could get a fig from a thistle, I would certainly be growing thistles. But you can't. It's impossible. Figs come from fig trees. Now, if I were to tell you, hey, I've got a fig tree at my house, I'm going I'm to have some figs, you know, uh, you'd say, yeah, really? Yeah, you know, come on, prove it. Now, 
really, if I had a fig tree, you couldn't keep it outside because they don't grow out here anyway. But, but, but you'd be skeptical. And you'd say, well, prove it. Well, the only way I could prove it is by handing you a fig. And then you'd have to see me actually pick it from there because I might have gone up to Kansas City and bought a whole bunch of figs and brought them back just so I can have these figs. But the, but the proof is in the fruit. And when it comes to these so-called prophets of God, the fruit, what they produce in terms of their character, in terms of their doctrine, all of that is evidence that they're either true or they're false. And how can you tell unless you judge? Again, this brings us back to first, the first verse of chapter 7. Judge not lest you be judged. We hear that all the time. So the next time someone tells you, hey, you shouldn't judge people, tell them I'm not. I, I'm, just, I'm not a judge. I'm only a fruit inspector. Okay, so I'm just, just a fruit inspector. That's what I've been, been called to do, to inspect fruit. Jesus goes on, look at verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you'll know them. Again, here's a comparison between good fruit and bad fruit, true righteousness and false righteousness, false prophet, and you and me personally. Because if Christ has come into our lives, there's going to be evidence. Yeah, works don't save a man, but they're good evidence that he or she is saved. And if you don't have the works, then I would suggest that there's no saving faith. But if you're saved, then there's going to be fruit. There's going to be good fruit. Now, just as I've given you three types of fruit to spot for a false prophet, let me give you three types of fruit for in a believer's life. Number one, our changing conduct and character is a kind of fruit. We're told in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're a true believer, you're going to have these fruits in your life. It will be evident in your life. Number two, fruits can be seen in what we say. What we say is a kind of fruit. What comes out of our mouth? Jesus puts it this way in Matthew twelve thirty four: For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. The tongue, the words that are, that are, that are dedicated to God can be a powerful force for good, but left unchecked. Or unyielded, the tongue is the most destructive weapon on the face of the earth. The number three, winning others to Christ and helping them grow spiritually is a kind of fruit. There's fruit in that. We know that. Paul wrote in Romans 1.13, I've often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among other Gentiles. Jesus says, by their fruits you will know them. So as we examine our own life, do we ask ourselves, is the fruit in my life, is it good fruit? Are people tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Or am I a rotten nut? Now this brings us to a few verses that have caused a lot of fear in a lot of people's lives over the years. Because just because a person says, Lord, Lord, doesn't necessarily mean they're a believer. Look at verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is radical stuff here, folks. This should cause all of us to want to examine our hearts, examine our lives. And the problem is a person reading this through without examining their own heart, 
and life could, could easily have fallen into something that has grave and dangerous repercussions because they may actually be self-deceived. That is the ultimate deception. The ultimate deception is when I, I, I so deceive myself that I think I'm living right when I'm actually living wrong. Because as I read this area of Scripture, if I pat myself on the back and I say, well, I'm sure glad I'm not one of them, well, it could be you are one of them. And you're just so deceived that you don't know you're deceived, and that's the ultimate deception. So as we read these verses, as we go through this, we need to take the time to examine ourselves and say, Lord, search my heart. I just don't want to be going through the motions without really knowing you and serving you. This is radical stuff. As I said before, the Sermon on the Mount it can be summed up with the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Over and over again, Jesus comes right back to our heart, right back to our motives. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Three things I see here. Number one, just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're a believer. See, this is, but let me also point out that this is, is not your garden variety non-believer here. This is a deeply religious person with more than a passing confession of faith because first of all, he says, Lord, Lord. So the very title they address Jesus with is respectful. In fact, that word that is used here for Lord comes from the Greek word kurios and it implies divinity. So it's a proper title for Christ. Kurios, Lord Jesus Christ. So they're addressing the Lord respectfully as divine, a respectful title. And there's passion in it. They say, Lord, Lord. Not just Lord. Lord, Lord. Not just someone going through the motions but someone that has emotion. Also, this is a, a public profession. They said, did we not you know, do so-and-so in your name? So number one, just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're a believer. Number two, just because a person you know, sees miracles in their life does not necessarily mean they're a believer. Again, look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Now you think, well, how can they perform miracles if they were false believers? If a miracle is done through a person, wouldn't that prove that they're believers? Not necessarily. Maybe they're lying here. Maybe they never did any of these things that they're telling Jesus they did. Or maybe they thought they were doing them and they really weren't. Another explanation is the Lord could have been simply using them in spite of themselves. Lord used Balaam. Balaam, you know, was not right with God. He prophesied through King Saul, even though Saul's heart was far from him. He spoke prophetically through Caiaphas. Remember when Caiaphas said, should not one man die for the nation? Caiaphas hadn't a clue. So just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're a believer. And just because a person sees miracles in their lives doesn't mean they're a believer. And finally, number three, just because a person makes a visible change in their life doesn't necessarily mean they're a believer. There are a lot of people like that. They'll say, you know, I think I need to make some changes. Let's go to church. It's, it's good to get a little religion. Well, I like the way that guy preaches. Pastor Greg Lloyd tells the story of a time that guy walked up to him after service and said, that was a hell of a message, Reverend. So many things wrong in that sentence. So many things wrong. But you see, these people that come in, they I got a little religion, I'm going to say, and, and it comes forth out of their mouths. You know, it, it, you know they, they act like they're converted, but they're not converted at all. You know, they're just to get something. Politicians, they do it around election time. You know, oh, yeah, praise God, you need to elect me. I go to church. 
Hollywood actors, they do it around award time, right? I thank God for this award, for making it all possible in my life, and they're getting an award for some R-rated filth movie. So you put all this together. These things don't make you a Christian. Just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're a believer. Just because a person sees miracles in their life doesn't necessarily mean they're a believer. Just because a person makes some sort of change in their life doesn't necessarily mean they're a believer. The thing with all of these people is true conversion did not precede their activity. That's why Jesus says in verse 23, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, while it is true that faith without works is dead, it could also be said that works without faith is also dead. Despite how, how, how impressive they were outwardly, these people did not know God inwardly. They did not know God intimately. Listen, if you're a true Christian, it's going to show in the way that you live. Jesus here says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That word lawlessness speaks of a continual, uh, regular action. You continually practice over and over again lawlessness and sin. In other words, beneath a veneer of spirituality beats a heart that's in dark rebellion against God. That's why God says, I never knew you. And by the way, the phrase knew you is a Hebrew word that speaks of intimacy. It was a word that was often used to describe marital intimacy. I never had this relationship with you. Stand before the Lord and you are, the Lord says, who? Oh, don't you know me, Lord? No, actually, I never knew you. That brings us to our final point, and that is the foundation that we build our lives upon. Number three, the two foundations. Look at verses 24 through 29. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes would always quote other people. So-and-so said, and this person says, Jesus says, and I say to you here. So we've seen Jesus compare the two gates, one leading to the broad road of destruction, the other to the narrow road leading to life. We've seen the good fruit that is evidence in a person's life that they are a true believer compared to the bad fruit from a tree that shows the false prophets and false believers. And now, in order to bring us all home, he brings us to two houses. Did it bring us home? Two houses, two foundations. The real Christian builds their life on the right foundation. And Jesus illustrates this by, by two men building houses. Now, apparently they both had the same desire. They wanted to build a house for each one of their families. They thought about the same thing. They were interested in the same thing. It would appear that they were close to each other. Maybe they even had the same floor plan in their house. You know, you go to some of these housing tracks and all the homes look exactly alike. That's the kind of picture here. They're all right next to each other. They just look, look like each other. Outwardly, they look great. The only way to tell the difference is to crawl underneath the house. Check out that foundation. See what's going on there. You know, I, I, I think of Hurricane Michael that just came through and the devastation and the loss of life that came as a result of that. We need to pray for these people. We need to see what we can do as a church for these people. But it's interesting for me to see as you go through some of the videos and some of the places, some of the structures that are still standing are the ones that were meant to withstand hurricanes. Jesus says a wise man, a wise man builds his house on the rock, a foolish man builds his house in the sand. 
See the differences between a believer and a pseudo-believer, more specifically a non-believer, acting like they are a believer, living side by side. And the only way to know the difference through the passing of time, through the coming of storms. Jesus said, The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But the man who built it on the sand, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Listen, storms are going to come in every one of our lives. By a storm, I mean hardships, struggles. They're going to hit, tragedies are going to hit, difficulties are going to come. And if the person is built on the right foundation, they will stand through the storm. The problem is a lot of us you don't want to have that foundation that we want the quick fix, we want the fast way, we want the shortcut. It's like someone said, well, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to diet. So don't you have a magic pill that you can give me? And they'll spend, you know, millions of dollars on trying to find that one pill that's going to help them lose weight. We want it easy. There are people that they want the blessings of God, but they don't really want God. They want happiness, but they don't want holiness. They want provision, but they're unwilling to make the sacrifices. And when the storms come, there is no foundation. They crumble because, there's, because, because again, there's no foundation. Now, let me say this. Foundation based on emotionalism is not the Word of God. It is, it is no foundation at all. You've got a lot of these churches, a lot of these pastors out there that are, that are just promoting, oh, you know, just, just live love and, and it's all good. But there's no foundation in the Word of God. There's no foundation in Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, storms are going to come, rain's going to fall, but if you're built on Christ, you will be fine because you put into practice the things that Jesus has taught us. And if you, if you have not, then you won't be fine. Your house will be washed away. It'll be destroyed. So I don't share these words to frighten us. I want us all to have that solid foundation. Because if you're a true believer, you'll make it through the storms. And we know this, storms don't last forever. Isn't that great to know? They come and they go, especially in Missouri. You know, it's like, oh man, a downpour, torrential rain, and now all of a sudden it's 70 degrees. Or vice versa, it's 70 nights and then it's 30 degrees. <laughs> storms go and storms go, come, but, but if you're built on Christ Jesus, you'll stand the test of time. As the, the song goes, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Listen, this is a sermon on twos. And we all fall in, into one of each of these two categories. Either we're on the narrow path, you know, or the, or the broad path. Good fruit or bad fruit, bad fruit, solid foundation or sandy foundation. The choice is up to us. God loves us so much and to prove his love for us, he's given us a free will so we can freely choose to love him or not. But true love requires a choice. And it's so dangerous for us to have a wrong view of ourselves and a wrong view of sin, to claim to be a Christian and still be doing the, our own thing. Because Jesus talked more about damnation and hell than any other subject because he knew it as a reality. And he's our good shepherd and he's instructing us, telling us this is serious. Make sure you have a true relationship with him. The solid foundation. Don't fool yourself. Finally, I want to close with this. Engraved on a ceiling in Germany are these words. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. 
Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe you've been baptized 10, 20 times. But after a study like this morning, you, you fear that when you see God, you may hear Him depart from me. I never knew you. Maybe you've been building your house on a faulty foundation. Listen, it's not too late to start right. It's not too late to confess your sins. God is faithful. He's just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness to get a new start. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ at all and, and, and you don't know Him, but this morning is an opportunity to know Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Because for us, we don't want to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in to the rest of your Lord. That's what we want to hear. That's why we're here. That comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ this morning, I want to give you that opportunity to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your word. As serious as these words are, Lord, it causes us to examine our hearts and examine our lives. And for us as believers to make sure that we don't slip off of the narrow path and start walking down that broad road that leads to destruction. Help us, Lord, to look as believers to the good fruit, to be warned of the false teachers and the false prophecies out there. Lord, that we would build our lives on no other foundation than your Son, Jesus Christ, knowing that any other foundation is just going to wash away. And finally, Lord, I pray for anyone here that, that doesn't know you, Lord, that maybe this morning is a time that they want to truly commit to you, to surrender. Maybe they've kind of thought about this back and forth, but Lord, they've, they've not really committed. They've not walked through the gate, but now, Lord, they want to. Lord, I pray that you'd touch their heart and their lives this morning, that they would make a stand for you today. They would surrender their heart to you today, that they would be born again today. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to be born again this morning? You want your sin forgiven? You want to commit fully to Jesus Christ? If that is your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord. God bless you. I see you in the back. Anybody else? You want to give your life to Jesus Christ? God loves you. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He sees your heart. He knows where you're at. Maybe you've, you've given your life to Jesus Christ at one point in, in your life, but you've been walking down that broad road towards destruction for so long that, that uh, maybe you feel like if you die today that Lord would say, Depart from me, I never knew you. You want to recommit your life this morning. You want to redevote your heart to Him. If that's you this morning, you want to rededicate your life to Him. Why don't you raise your hand so I could pray for you as well? Anybody at all? While our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed, the one that raised His hand, just repeat this prayer after me, and God will answer that prayer, and God will come into your heart and give your life. Let's pray. God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I repent of it. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for every sin I ever committed. Jesus, come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving me, for cleansing me, for taking away my guilt and shame. I commit my life to you now. Thank you that I am now a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's give the gentleman a hand for committing his life to the Lord. The Bible says that the angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents.
praise God for what he's doing this morning. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.